This is Hog Choker with their new song, Crip Camp, on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. <laughs> Of 
Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. Today we'll be speaking to Simon Jackson. 
Now, Simon is most recognised in Shanghai for being the lead singer of one of the most popular bands coming out of Shanghai, Hog Choker. Now, Hog Choker are currently touring China to promote the latest album, 2222. Now, Hog Choker were also in the Guinness Book of Records for recording and simultaneously releasing seven versions of their debut album in seven genres. Now, Simon is also the organizer of the music festival Shanghai Calling, which is on this weekend, and also Hog Choker will be playing there. But before we go, please go to our website. We're at Podbean. Tell Craig Your Story at podbean.com. We have a link tree there which tells you where Tell Craig Your Story podcast is streaming. We are on all the major streaming services. We also have a YouTube channel there. Make sure you have subscribing to get all the latest updates. And I know some of you do prefer the video. We have VK for our Russian listeners and we have WeChat for our Chinese listeners. At Tell Craig Your Story. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Simon on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Simon. How are you doing tonight? Hi, Craig. Thank you for having me on the show. Cheers Cheers. to that. (laughs) On the road. The last time I saw some pictures, you were playing in Hong Kong and... Guangzhou, so tell us about those. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So we're, we're touring the album that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. 2222, or 2222, or 2222. <laughs> Interesting titling, say it a few ways. It is. But yeah, it was great. Guangzhou, we played in a bar called Hooli's. It's an Irish bar on three floors. Yeah, right. And it was three years since they'd had a band from outside coming in that wasn't just playing covers. Right. And that was amazing. It was the birthday of one of the owners who'd been stuck in Canada for a few years. Yeah, right. So that was just a huge party with as much free drink and food as we could stomach. As you do. That's awesome. Hong Kong was more interesting because the guy who runs the WANT hadn't managed to get the right permits <laughs> for people to play from outside Hong Kong. Uh. So I set up a chat on a Hong Kong radio and I was going into their breakfast show to chat to a wonderful woman, Louisa Tan. Um, and I got up at 5.30 in the morning to get from Guangzhou with a giant hangover, having had like three hours sleep. <laughs> and on the way, checked my messages and, and John from the one just going, you can't mention the show. You can't mention the show. We don't have permits. <sighs> you have to keep it absolutely stum. So that was quite interesting. It wasn't a huge crowd. I, I got to the breakfast show. We say, well, I believe you've got a really exciting show coming up. <laughs> it's going, um, yeah, it's a kind of underground secret one. I can't say the venue. <laughs> Can I talk about my last poetry collection? <laughs> <laughs> Which we did. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you just danced around the, the main question that you're on there for this one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good that you're out there because I think... Even Hong Kong had the the mask. Like I went there last month, and they had the. I got in trouble for not wearing the mask. Uh, so I think recently they've then just taken that rule off. So that's cool that Hong Kong's getting back to where it was. Have you been there before with the band? Or? Not with the band. No. Right. I mean, I'd be. I'd been to the Wanch before as well, but not 
not actually playing there. Yeah. So that that was great. And then we uh, Wenjo, we've just played in, and Xi'an, we're playing in a, a week after next. Yeah, right. So we're trying to get out of Shanghai now that we're allowed to. Yeah, That's absolutely. Great. And let's talk about what's coming up as well. Like you're the main guy for the Shanghai call- Shanghai calling calling. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to be a nice a big event. So we started it two years ago, realizing there wasn't like a big alternative festival in Shanghai for local bands at mm. all. And I think we had 14 bands playing the first year and a couple of DJs and it completely sold out. Um, it was great. Last year, we were trying to spread it over three evenings and we were going to have about 18 bands. One evening that was sort of electronica, one evening that was more weird, freak pop alternative, and one evening that was all very heavy. And of course, COVID stopped. Oh, yes, yes. So so this year, it's spread over two days in Yuyintang Park and Yuyintang Original. Mm. Uh, There's 27 bands playing. Come on. Good mix of... That's great. Local bands from Shanghai, some expat bands, a lot of Chinese bands. Quite a few bands from Beijing, mm. Wenzhou, Hangzhou, all over the country coming down. Uh, we've got Rolling Bowling, they're headlining. They're oh, like nice. pretty big act who've uh, been on quite a big record label for a long time. Yeah, right. Hey Lily, I'd say best female rock band in Shanghai, definitely. Oh, yes, yes. Flying Game, Sunken Square, Dirty Fingers and Am Corporation both have one band member. They're like, I'm not sure if they're getting back to the country in time. Right. So we're hoping that we'll have them as well. And you've gone through it as well, probably more than me, that you're going away, you want to go see your family, you want to travel, you also got a band here as well. <laughs> you want to write music. So, yeah, it's good to see that even though some of these bands have lost members, they're still, okay, well, let you play music, I play music, let's go and jam and <laughs> let's create something completely different. So that's just how sort of the Shanghai music scene rolls, well, all right? Our drummer, who's from Pakistan, he just emigrated to Canada this week. So yeah. <laughs> on Thursday, we actually rehearsed a, a, a new drummer. Oh, yes. And she was absolutely brilliant. My wife was like, oh, is this going to be another hot chick you get into the <laughs> right. I'm not sure I'm into this. Right. But Emily was, was brilliant. She used to play an Exit 4 right. with our current bassist um, back in Ningbo, down in Ningbo about 10 years ago. And... How did... Yeah, was sorry. Right. She was very hot. Very talented. <laughs> and then she started talking about her girlfriend. And I was like, oh, my wife's going to be so happy again. <laughs> Another piece of the puzzle for Hong Chai. Yeah. <laughs> Another that's awesome, but yeah, how are you doing that? How are you sort of, I mean, your, your music's so diverse. If you have someone come in and try out, do they play covers or are they playing your songs off the new album or? Yeah, I give them, I give them a couple of the more straightforward songs. Yeah, yes. And at least one of the really fucked up ones. Right. That, like goes from salsa into waltz into really heavy metal. So you got to um, do your home a little bit of your homework. Yeah, so yeah. expect them to have had a good listen, right? And to be able to go from sort of swing jazz into a really fast beat into ska, and uh, obviously a lot of drummers and guitarists are just like, what the hell? Not even interested. Yeah. But if you get someone who is kind of enthusiastic about that and really gets it, then I kind of feel. 
they're going to fit with the band. And that's really cool as well. Like, uh, she'll bring a whole new element into the band. And who knows what sort of music, new, new members, new music, new ideas. And that's right. I mean, that's another thing. I think we've gone through about 20 members in the last 10 years. Yeah. But every person, I, I write the basic structure and record it, bring it in. And then once we've kind of got the structures, like, ah, you, you guys are much better musicians than me on your own instruments. Now just improvise and add to it and change it. So every band member who comes in really changes the sound. Yeah. We've just started playing with electric violinist Dave, who that's just brilliant. Getting the saxophone and the violin really riffing off Adds each other is, is amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So, when was the sort of idea to bring this this new album out? When did you start? Was it obviously COVID? And plenty of time to sort of get ideas out. Yeah. Yeah. You um, must have been really busy because there's a lot of tracks on this new album and. I don't know how you describe your genre to someone. Yeah, we don't really. There's a few people in Hong Kong, I don't know what the hell I listened to, but I really liked it. Yeah. Uh, I like, other people have tried. I, I jotted down a yeah, couple of reviews just... here. So add to want list, said part genius, part madman, the most eclectic and entertaining set of songs you'll hear this year. There you go. As for this album, extraordinary, creative, original and fearless. Habibi Records Come on. and the one that describes the album best is the China CN Music Review who put Shanghai's most prolific and amorphous act returned with their ambitious wildly imaginative concept album a multi-genre 22 release celebrating the birthdays of 22 historical characters who would celebrate their 100, 200 or 300th birthday this year and that's kind of what the whole album's about so Oh, Shanghai Top 5, they called us a seasoned cesspool of <laughs> punk, ska, salsa, jazz and klezmer that's captivated Shanghai audiences for years. But that's that, what we sound like, yeah. <laughs> in a nutshell. But they're, they're missing so much more. I mean, there's rock, there's bluegrass, there's techno, there's, there's everything. So There's more bluegrass now with the violin as well. Oh, yeah, well there you go, yeah. It's like, oh, I wasn't expecting the song to go that way. Yeah. <laughs> and just listening to it, some things that just come out, just randomly. Who's the Brazil lover, Ipinima girl? Ah, well, that, that was written for my wife, ah. Diana. It was, um, gosh, that's a long story in itself. She's, she's, <laughs> basically, we, we were living in Yugoslavia. She's Serbian. All right. But uh, her sister was born she was born in Bosnia her sister was born in Kosovo she grew up in uh, mainly in Libya and Iraq mm. uh, her dad was an engineer so good sort of axis of evil grouping there it's yes really cool. <laughs> it's a nice mix and we ended up during the war in Yugoslavia well after the actual civil war but while the Kosovo crisis was going on uh, we were living there I was I'd met her because I was playing in a terrible Yugoslavian thrash band. Um, and the lead singer was like, oh, we go to a bar with very hot women. The waitresses, they all look like supermodels. <laughs> and um, and Yana didn't look like a supermodel. She looked like a really cute, nice girl who I could ask if she knew where the bathroom was. <laughs> and that was the first things I ever said to her. And, <laughs> and we've ended up married with two kids and living here in Shanghai. Wow. But the, yes, yeah, so the, every day we were getting messages saying, 
Belgrade is going to be bombed. Unless the Yugoslavian army get out of Kosovo, the bombing is about to start. All that great black humour, everyone was spraying signs on their walls. Shall I clean my windows this week or is NATO going to finally drop the bombs? A oh. uh, different place like we're putting targets on the roof saying, try and hit this, you bastards. There was a, a weird graveyard humour going on. But finally, my mum called and said, what the hell are you doing there? BBC said they're going to bomb in their day and every British citizen's left. Yeah. Um, and they haven't. <laughs> me and the other teachers for the Bradshaw Cadditch University were all there. And I called the British Embassy and they were like, oh yeah, we, we left a message on uh, the head of English's answer machine I felt a few weeks ago. I was like, that was me, but I was away on holiday. Didn't sound very urgent. Oh, well, I want you to get out. I was like, well, okay, give us a hand. What, what do we do? Do we come to the embassy? Oh, no. No, you'll not be allowed in. Why don't you get your mum to wire you some money? I'm like, everyone's an adult, and where are you living? Because the banks have been closed for the last three months. Right. We couldn't get money out from anywhere. And basically, British embassy are pretty useless. They just look tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just try and survive. We don't want to do it. And we managed to get a flight out to Cyprus initially. Um, it was the only flight the travel agent we went to had got out of the country. It was the last flight that took off from Belgrade Airport. So we actually got into the flight. It was full of women and children, obviously, like lots of people just put their family on it. As soon as it took off, there was this kind of sigh of relief and everyone lit cigarettes and the trolley dollies is not the right word we're meant to use anymore. Uh, the flight attendant... <laughs> Ladies were coming up and down. Got to put out the sig, but and everyone's just oh, screw you. Yeah. And then they started lighting up as well and just saying, "Oh yeah, we're done." <laughs> and we landed in Cyprus, went to a bar, and it looked like kind of video game on the screen with these little green lines coming up and little like, flashes of light. I don't know if you ever played that video game, the very old one where you've got little cities at the bottom you got to defend. Oh. Little missiles coming down. Yes, yes. And we're like, oh, what's that? And they're like, oh, that's Belgrade. Yeah, they bombed the airport an hour ago. They're hitting all the bridges now. And Jesus. So um, from there, (laughs) Yana's dad actually managed to get us a visa to go to Peru, where he was working Ah. at the time. We um, we realised it's the only place in the world where they won't employ English teachers because there's such a lot of British speakers anyway in Cyprus with the naval base right, and things. Right. So Yana was working in a fairly grotty bar. The hotel that we were staying in, I think, thought we were much younger than we were. But, we, you know, Yana was like 22, I was maybe 26. We were fairly young. But they thought we were kind of students who'd just been shipped out. Shipped oh, out. Right. And they were really, really nice. They were like, oh, there's some rooms in the back that the Russian prostitutes when they use when they come for the summer... <laughs> You can sleep there for free. Um, at the end of breakfast, I'm going to leave the food out so you can grab enough food for the day. Don't worry about it. Um, wow. And of course, in, in Cyprus, they kind of saw the whole Kosovo thing as very similar to the Turks coming into Cyprus. Mm. They're also sort of Greek Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox religion. And they sort of saw a, a parallel, I guess, and then felt a kinship. Um, me and Yana aren't of any religion, so we didn't quite have that link, but it, the people were really nice to us there. Until Yana's dad finally managed to bribe someone in Peru to get us a visa, because no one would give Yana a visa. 
Right. They were like, you know, the world's kind of at war with your country. And you're a student. You've got no real reason to go back. And we eventually went to this hotel where this really small Peruvian guy with a huge metal briefcase handcuffed to his hand came in and took us into this little back office and we gave him $500 and he unlocked his suitcase, put the money in. We gave him our passports and he took out these fabulous golden visas that he stuck into our passports carefully, stamped them all and bang, there you go. Uh, So that was us. That's how we ended up in South America. Wow. Did you also play in South America? Initially in the Irish bar, played a lot of Beatles covers to, <laughs> to just make a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, in the Irish bar. All right. But yeah, yeah, we had a band out there. That's when I really got into salsa and South mm. American music. I think on all of the albums you can hear a lot of the South American rhythms. Yeah, definitely coming over the punk. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I love Proof. It was the music was incredible. Any nightclub you went to, there was like an eight-piece band with a full brass section playing salsa, and it, it's just so infectious to and dance to. I didn't get and I didn't get up that far. I went to Argentina and Brazil, but mm-hmm. it was such a part. They got a, such a party atmosphere down there. It's like sleep all day, <laughs> get up, get up about five, six o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. Uh, have a, have some dinner and just party, dance, play music, yeah. And then yeah, <laughs> if they wake up a little bit early, they go to the beach. <laughs> what a lifestyle! I mean, I, I did have to work as well when I was. <laughs> <but> I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So back to the album. Yeah. Every day is a carnival. Luis Bonfa. I'd never heard of him, but we took a trip to Brazil, hmm. and we ended up teaching in an international school there. Oh yeah. Right. Newton International College, which was. Fabulous. Um, and you got a whole of their summer break. Three months you got off from mid-December to mid-March. And in Peru, everyone gets a double salary at the end of the year. So we had four months wages. Right. To travel. Went down to Brazil. Got to Rio de Janeiro. Some guy offered us a penthouse apartment. Uh, I mean, this is before you got on mobile phones and things and booking in advance on internet. Couldn't find some like dodgy guy at the train. You want somewhere to stay? I take you. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, are we going to be mugged? <laughs> but no, he took us to this great place near the beach. So we just walked down to Copacabana Beach. Copacabana. Started drinking. Oh, what are those fabulous cachaça oh, yeah. with a bit of lemon, and it just doesn't taste particularly strong. Uh, caipirinhas. Oh, yes. So we were just sitting on the beach drinking caipirinhas in this little bar for hours as the sun went down. And then we stood up to go back to our apartment and both fell over. <laughs> yes. We were utterly legless. <laughs> um, and the song's kind of about that, you know. We, it's about lying, making love in this way too hot apartment, very hungover, and turning the radio on. Louise Bonfo was playing. I'd never heard of him beautiful beautiful guitarist um and Yana was telling me all about him how poor he'd been and how he used to walk like six hours every day to go to this guitar teacher who'd teach him for free because he thought it was so great yeah um but it's really a love song for for Yana oh, <laughs> so sweet <laughs> with the new album you were saying like when did the ideas start coming in was, was it around the COVID time or was, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. A lot of so, stuff. so. How did you get it all together? I mean, it's it's all over. That like one song is 
one, two, three, four, and then the next one is like, so what comes first? I mean, normally a rock band would say, oh yeah, it's all about the riff, (laughs) but (laughs) it's not all about the riff for you, maybe for some, maybe like a ska song or a punk Mm. song, but for you, how does it all get together? The concept. Absolutely. The, with this, the concept I, first. I was writing a lot of poetry at right. the time, and I thought, oh, I always thought Philip Larkin's "This Be the Verse" would be a great punk song. Yeah. He was when I was like fifteen or so. I was taught him, and I know he's problematic. He's a uh, definitely written lots of racist and sexist comments in his letters to Kingsley Amis, <laughs> but great poet. He's got a whole generation into poetry. Mm. And, one of, and it was the first poem I'd seen with fuck in it. I was like, oh my God, you can be like a famous poet and start with, <laughs> they fuck you up, your mum and dad, they may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the thoughts they had and add some extra just for you. Wow. But they were fucked up in their turn by fools in old style hats and coats who half the time were soppy stern and half at one another's throats. Man hands on misery to man. It deepens like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can and don't have any kids yourself. That's the whole poem. I mean, that's, that's punk lyrics. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I recorded a thrashy punk version of that and then went, oh, he's going to be 100 next year. Um, I wonder who else has got a centenary or bicentenary or tricentenary. And that was the start. Um, and quite quickly, I realised I wanted it to be very diverse and mainly be people that no one had heard of, but that they should have. Hmm. And I wanted to have a, a lot more civil rights activists and scientists and people that I felt were admirable, which, other than being a great poet, I'm not sure Philip Larkin was in his private life or some of his views. And I got to having researched maybe like 50 people or so for it. And I was feeling very pleased. I got some great Danish naturalists and lawyers and, and freedom fighters and... I was going through the list and I realised God, nearly everyone is white, European or American or Australian uh, and male. Um, and I was even, you know, I was trying to be diverse. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of realised yet yeah, these are the people who have been writing the history. Hmm. That there actually is not very much about African and Asians written in English from 100 years ago or women even less from yeah. people who were 200 years ago or 300 or 400 years ago didn't uh, they try and erase the, that sort of history like, the Chinese? definitely some areas mm. did mm. and that was how the whole overall concept came about that it was trying to find some people who's yeah who should be heard about yeah. and, and it's called 2222 not 2022 I know we're a little bit late touring it because of COVID, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. because it's set actually 200 years in the future, I'm not sure if I can even try and explain the science fiction <laughs> concept. <laughs> Listen to the first track, it sort of says it. But the idea was that as computers and everything, every electronic device has got more and more interlinked through the World Wide Web and cloud stuff that slowly these Trump bots have been released into everything and over a space of 50 or 60 years through these huge sites like Askbook, which is the new Facebook, um, basically every single 
electronic thing has been infected mm. and on a certain date everything as you were saying it, it erases all history that isn't basically in favour of white supremacists right and I know you could say that's kind of as history has been written for the last <laughs> thousand years anyway yes. all white and male but this absolutely just takes it so everyone else is removed and our heroes who are a little guerrilla fighting group called Hogchoker, surprisingly enough. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is the band name as well. They set sail on the uh, SS Hogchoker to find the last device that has not been infected where they might be able to get some historical knowledge from. Oh. Um, I was going very cant there. <laughs> Dare to understand. Was it Sapare Aude? Dare to understand and to reason. Knowledge is power. And they find in the Shetland Islands, the Shetland Islands have trained killer dolphins to keep outsiders out. It's one of the only places that hasn't been hit by this huge virus. And there is one mobile phone that has not been infected. So they set off on their journey to find what actually happened in history over the past thousands of years Mm -hmm. and to try to bring it back into the public knowledge um, and and unfortunately, most of the keys aren't working, which is why it's all people who were born or died in years ending 22. Right. Uh, it's a bit of a specious argument, oh, but that, wow. <laughs> that became... I'm, st- I'm still thinking about the killer dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that bit. Yeah, I think we need a whole story about that. Yeah. An album. About yeah, there you go. <laughs> The revenge of the killer dolphins. Yes, <laughs> they fight back. You so, must... Yeah, so that was the co- that was basically the starting point. This ridiculous concept <laughs> <laughs> that kind of just linked in people with centenaries that were coming yeah, up right. last year. I'm uh, going through like all the credit. Matt Barker gets a lot of credits for. Tell me about this guy. I'm not too yeah. familiar. Great local musician. He's going to be. He was a professional musician in Nashville. Worked there for many years. A Scottish guy. Great, really tight uh, sort of pop rock alternative singer and guitarist. And I, well, basically our drummer left just as we were about to start recording. Damn drummers. (laughs) (laughs) And we got to, I got to realising I'm not going to get all 22 songs done unless I try to be a bit more divergent. So our bassist, he also has a sort of a drum and bass group called Clan Brood. So I was like, okay, can you write some of the music? Mm. We'll have some techno stuff on it. Uh, there's this great guy called Charles, what's he called? Charles Hermite, who would have been 200 last, last year, uh, a French mathematician. I knew nothing about him except he created the law, E is Transcendental. So that has to be a rave song. <laughs> That's the last, is that the last track? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and Matt Barker, you know, he'd already got his band together. I really liked him. We played together before. I was like, hey, if I throw you some lyrics and some ideas, what do you think if you write the music to four or five of them and we do them together? And then that's hopefully only going to leave me about 15 to do with the band while trying to rehearse a new drummer for it. Uh, so that, yeah, that's how Matt, came involved he's actually about to leave to move to Kazakhstan so Shanghai calling 
on June 10th and 11th will be the Matt Barker Project's uh, last gig right. in Asia, at least uh, for a good while. Right. So get on down there. Come on. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and how long did this whole process take? I mean, it seems like it would have taken forever. It, I mean, from the first idea, mm. it, it was well over a year. But because of the drama leaving, and then there was the summer, and we were all locked down, it was hard to do anything. We so, ended up sort of recording it all in about three months. Right. Which just meant we were in the rehearsal space, like, going, okay, we've got four songs we have to learn. Then Saturday into the studio, let's record those four songs. Okay. Yeah, right. So I think you can hear... <laughs> hear that in some of the production um and i was very keen that it had to be released on the 22nd of february at 2222 right 22 right. Two, 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 two. yeah and and i think when you listen i hope there's a sort of a punk scrappiness that you might enjoy to a lot of the songs but they probably could have been a bit polished <laughs> if we'd given ourselves another year but um, that in turn, there's also that sort of style that you have in Shanghai with the underground, that whole live, in-your-face, not-so-perfect, but, yeah. Energy and attitude. Yeah. polish Yes. And sometimes you can maybe over-polish. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the album before, the guy who produced it, Jonathan, who was great, the first songs he sent me back, he'd kind of added bits of keyboards over oh. the top and they almost sound like ELO. <laughs> <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I... So this time it was more of an... So who who produced this we, last... We just did it ourselves. Right. Um, Tom the bassist did most of it. I kind of just pulled things in order and added like a few extra sax parts and things. I was like, okay, Tom, that's kind of how it goes. He was trying to master and mix without having really done it before. Mm. But he did brilliantly learning on the job in and, and we ended up just mixing it all in a couple of weeks and going, okay, that has to do. Let's get it out. Let's do the launch party. And then, of course, we were all locked down almost <sighs> straight after that before we got to tour it at all. So, yeah, um, right. So, but now you have. Yeah, so, that's so, why we're loving touring it now. So what are your plans now for like for, for touring it? And how... <laughs> Well, the, you've already talked a little bit about the response of, of the, the album so far. So how has it been with the fans and international fans as well? Um, yeah, I mean, we've had some brilliant reviews from it, which has been really great. Time Out said uh, Hog Choker are not a band. They're a sensory explosion, which, as you were saying about the sort of energy and things, yeah. that definitely, uh, definitely works. Watching your live performances, it's... I think it would be hard to... Because you, you have to see you guys play. You're a live band, Absolutely. right? Would you say you're a live band? Yeah, definitely. So when you listen to this, you go, how the hell are they going to play this live? Difficult to play live, these songs? I mean, so diverse. I think these are easier than the last album because, I mean, and here you've got kind of 25 songs that sound like they could have been made by 25 bands right because we were trying to get the right music for each person from each country it's like oh that needs to be Caribbean this one's definitely bossa no oh this is a tango but it's about wrestlers it's got to be a tango that goes really heavy metal <laughs> um, whereas the last album we'd got those changes within 
one song. Mm. Um, and, and of course, we got some like great Jamaican guys in on that as well, who were because they were locked down just at the start of COVID, were like pleased to collaborate and give us a bit of some fabulous Rasta vocals <laughs> going over it. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it makes it a very uh, <laughs> interesting gig, yeah, when you're going through so many styles. But I think live, the main thing is even if we're going from Klezmer to Scar to Salsa, the ones we do live are all great dance songs. Yeah. It's all about getting all the audience up and dancing. Hopefully, they'll pick up a bit of the politics behind it as well. Mm. Um, but if they don't, they don't. That's, um, Sometimes it's just... Yeah, <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this until Sian. Yeah, Sian. Yeah, is she is she still in the band or is... no? She's absolutely doing her own stuff. Yeah, now. stuff. Right, right. She's right. like doing brilliant stuff. She's yeah. just actually from having had a couple of years of just playing as a solo person, like with a track behind her. Uh, she's got a full band together. Finally, and yeah. the last time I saw, she got these huge drums like the. Chinese drums that you hit above your head on the stage. Uh, so she will also be at Shanghai Calling. Come yeah. on. Yeah, that all came about after, so I guess about eight years ago, we just were getting quite big in Shanghai mm. and we'd done a, quite a few gigs around China. And then we did a um, tour of Japan. We got asked to play in some festivals in the Philippines. The Nine, the Devet, which brilliant festival in Yugoslavia and Serbia. They were in us to go and play with the Antwerp. And there was a, a real buzz going on. And I bumped, I, I used to work in theatre, which you can probably tell when you see the band. There's a very <laughs> yes. theatrical That's side cool. to it. Lots yes. of changes of costumes and dry ice and things and makeup. <laughs> yes. This guy used to run Lost Vagueness, which was a, a brilliant company him and his wife run. Yeah. Uh, my company was Living Art Space Theatre Company. Which is a, again a very multimedia company based in Manchester, and he used to do these great shows. Like they they booked a whole train, and had like first class Michelin starred food, and you you buy a ticket, you go all the way from Edinburgh to London and back, and have entertainers performing all the way down and all the way back. So they had this kind of hippie, cool performance. Uh, and I, I bumped into him again, and he's like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" Is, so I was showing him some of the videos of the tour. And he's like, well, yeah, me and the wife split up, but I kept the Lost Vagueness field in Glastonbury and she kept the name of the company. Mm. And um, why don't you come and play there? That'd be brilliant. And for me, Glastonbury Festival is the greatest festival in the world. Uh, my my theatre company actually had a big show there mm. with a big pyrotechnics company. It was an alternative telling of the Frankenstein story where the monster actually runs off and joins a circus and falls in love with the mummy. I think a werewolf appears in it as well. All with live music um, <laughs> yeah. and lots of pyrotechnics. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, I'd always wanted to play Glastonbury as a musician, not just as a theatre person. Super excited. Got back here, started planning it. We were about to launch our first album told everyone people started not turning up to rehearsals what the fuck's going on finally went to the drummer uh someone who again is a good mate now though we did fall out over this what's going on jared we it's glass and it's glass and <laughs> no, no. 
And he's like, I'm busy, man. I'm like, yeah, you've been busy for months. You won't speak to me. What the hell? I'm just going to sit in your garden with a six pack, six pack. And at some point, you're going to not be busy. You'll have put your kid to bed and you're going to talk to me. And if you haven't, I'm going to go and get another six pack and just keep throwing stones at your window. So he's like, oh, okay, fuck it, come in. <laughs> and basically said, look, I'm leaving the band. I said, okay, but don't tell anyone else till we've done the show. And can you stay till dusk? And he's like, told everyone else three months ago, but I knew you were going to take it really badly. And everyone's out. No one, they all think you're bullying them. And so I, yeah, I got them together and the bassist like, it's become the Simon Jackson show. What the hell? You forced us to tour Japan. I'm going to see my family. And I'm like, I paid for us all from the money we'd made in gigs. Yeah. No one bought a ticket yeah. or had to stay in a hotel. And we did stay on the floors of some pretty grotty places from other Japanese bands we were playing with. Yeah. But no one had to pay for anything. Um, yeah. And now you expect us to spend all summer in bloody Europe. And yeah, they were actually angry about Glastonbury we we did do the album launch split up and then uh, the bassist from Pinball City Mark who now plays in Bad Treatment he was like you got a Glastonbury show fuck we reform the band let's do it I'm your bassist <laughs> so we kind of got people together again and that's when CM joined ah. so we'd been playing at the Beer Mamza Festival she'd just been promoting beer I'd got her up on stage because she was really cool. And I was like, wow, you've got a great voice. I know you just think I'm another older white guy trying to hit on you. But seriously, I'm like, I, this is for the music. Can I get your WeChat? Yeah. So I, basically I called her and we restarted the band. That's how Sian joined right. it. We, it was a bit late for Glastonbury. See, she couldn't get a visa in time. Oh, right, and, um, right. It, so Glastonbury didn't happen still. But... We had a great new lineup for the next, uh, and two of the young guys who were playing were both going off to university. Mm. We had this great Brazilian guitarist and a uh, French drummer, but they were both like going off doing masters and things. So uh, mm. that was a short-lived little lot. But obviously, Sian stayed with us for several years. Yeah, right. But it, it says here that she's just a guest vocal, so she's just coming in and just yeah. So she, yeah, talk. she's like coming and recorded a few things with us since. Um, she's come to a few of the gigs and done a few songs. Yeah. Awesome. And you're in the world, is it the Guinness Records? Ah, yes. Well, actually, we're not anymore. Oh. <laughs> we were in, we did 10 versions of the first album, all yeah. in as different genres. How did this come up? And how, I can just think of the hours and hours of time trying to get this thing together yeah it's another thing like the two 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 you may be seeing a, a pattern of insanity yeah. here yeah where do you fit the time in i don't sleep very much yeah. <laughs> right. i do i do a lot after the kids are asleep just sitting up all night doing stuff yeah. get a couple of hours then go and work um <laughs> that uh, that was great fun again most of the band didn't want to do it didn't feel they'd got time but we had an entirely chinese group all playing gujons and peeper and wow. traditional instruments for one of the versions that's so cool. uh, we had an edm version was more sort of drum and bass and and only the lyrics stayed the same nearly every tune changed all the chord structures changed we had a jazz album a bossa nova one a thrash metal one i, I got my computer stolen during the making and we did wow. lose a few 
yeah. a few of the versions. But I think we released seven completely separate full albums on the launch day. We've got Guinness Book of Records representative there. They were like, yeah, nah, no one's done that before. Seven completely different versions of the same album on the same day. Damn. Um, and then about a year later, I was like, Where, where's it gone? I saw it on the online version. Where is it? And I got in touch and they were like, oh, we've, we've gone through and we decided that genre is too subjective. So we've, oh, we've removed quite a lot of things out. Oh, so. Blasted things. Know, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> but again, like, that's just, this shows your, your versatility. And I was just thinking about this just before you come over about uh, Slayer. I mean, love the band. Great band. But I have to be in the mood to, to listen to Slayer. They're just like in your face, just banging your head against the concrete, you know. Just. But this one, it's like, oh yeah, I'm in this mood today. I can pick track four, I can pick track ten. You know what I mean? It's, so what do you listen to with your broad range of playing uh, all these different types? Like you could just pigeonhole some people in there. So what are you listening to? My default actually is not very super exciting, slightly miserable British alternative rock. Who's the Bob Dylan fan? Not me. (laughs) I love his writing and things, but I I, I wouldn't say I'm hugely influenced. Although I have to say the uh, Crip Camp, I mean, that really is my hurricane. You know, the sort of five-minute epic story. Yeah, it's not fair to say I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but I don't feel he's a a great musical influence. Right. But maybe in some of the storytelling and things. Mm. (laughs) All right. I just, uh, I just think but yeah, that... a lot of South American music as well. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, my like easy listening is bang on a bit of I Am Clute or, you know, I, I think intricate and interesting. And um, Did you go down Scottish. there? It's on the website that you, you played three shows in South America and then it mm. got cancelled due to the COVID. Yeah, that was just with me and the guitarist at the time. He was there getting married. Uh, my wife's sister's married to an Argentinian. We wanted to go and see them anyway. It's like, yes, let's do a strip down. We'll like try to get a couple of Argentinian guys in. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Ah, three shows were good. It's... But yeah, bloody COVID. Yeah. yeah. Wrecks a lot. So. And, and yeah, Argentinian music is fabulous. Because mm. that's what I was about to say next is like, there's my sort of teenage default, noisy, alternative. But, but then I heard living in Peru particularly, Fabulosa's Cadillacs and all these amazing yeah. bands um, who just mix ska and salsa and all the um, local musics and do it in a really upbeat, sing-alongable way. Like most people haven't even heard Los Fabulosa's Cadillacs, but they are in South America bigger than the Beatles. Like The Clash flew down there to record with them, Debbie Harry did. Mm. The people who are really into music know it's, uh, and I, I think that sort of band was the biggest influence who really were mixing things up. Camper Van Beethoven, actually, as well, in the 90s. That was the first band when I was just into punk at that time and a bit of ska. And I saw them, and they'd got like the violin player playing very sort of East European klezmer type riffs. 
they had one song that sounded super heavy metal, then the next sound, song sounded like country and western, and were just all over the place. Right. And I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And I also saw you have like a, a mix of the Hog Choker's favourite songs, and one was Mr. Bungle. Ah, oh, so, yeah. so he's wait. someone else who does that, and I love that. Yes, I'm a huge Mike Patton fan, mm. and he always, like, he was the one guy that you could rely on that could come down to Australia. He just loved coming to Australia. So when Faith and the Moor were off tour, he'd go with Bungle, and then it was <laughs> oh, Tomahawk, man. and then it was the one with Dave Lombardo on drums. It was just him screaming. So. I think Faith and Moore is still going, but yeah, he he's one of those guys that just reminds me a little bit of you just getting out there playing all the time. Whatever sounds good or whatever you're into at the moment, okay, let's record it. <laughs> I think that's so cool. It's really cool. And that mixtape, that just shows how bad I am technologically because I was just trying to put that together for band members. Oh, right. Like, Listen to some of this stuff. Get some of this range. Yeah. And then it makes that, oh, yeah, I saw all that stuff you put up on your Bandcamp or SoundCloud or wherever it is. I was like, oh, can everyone see that? <laughs> oh, I've got no idea. <laughs> yeah.
Hi, I'm Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. I can tune into your loved ones in the spirit world, but I can also tune into you, tell you about your path and the choices that you need to make and need to know. I'm currently giving 30% discount on all Tell Craig Your Story listeners. Just use the code Tell Craig Your Story for 30% off your first psychic reading with me online at Nigel the Shanghai Psychic. Hi, I'm Tony Fair, founder of Victorian Grooming Company. Is your beard feeling dry or the skin underneath itchy? Maybe you'd rather soften and tame your beard instead. Our classic collection of beard oils, balms, and soaps will leave your beard looking, feeling, and smelling amazing. And if you prefer shaving, our pre-shave oils and shave soaps will give you a smooth and razor burn free shave. Handmade in Edmonton with natural ingredients, visit victoriangrooming.com.